happy Independence Day. Actually, it's tomorrow, but this is the last service that we uh, get to say anything about it this year. And so uh, I want to say that I am thankful for this great nation and the freedom that we've enjoyed and appreciate those young men doing a great job on our national anthem. Tomorrow we celebrate 246 years since the Declaration of Independence was signed. And before we get into the message, I'd like to focus on one particular man who signed the Declaration of Independence. His name is Richard Stockton, kind of an obscure man. We've heard of many of our founding fathers, and unless you're a real U.S. history buff, you uh, might not be familiar with this uh, great man. He was a judge. He was a senator from New Jersey. And the reason I'm focusing uh, on him here today is because uh, many of the signers of the Declaration of Independence had great suffering and sacrifice after they signed, put their name on that particular document that started what we know as the Revolutionary War and our fight for independence. Richard Stockton had six children, four of them were girls. And history tells us that after he signed the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia, that before he got home to New Jersey, his family had already began their suffering. And uh, to make a long story short, I won't go into all of the details, by the end of the Revolutionary War, Richard Stockton had been imprisoned by the British, had been beaten brutally, had suffered starvation, had lost most of his health, and by the time that the Revolutionary War was over, he had pretty much lost everything. His family also were expelled, and they had no livelihood, and so during that time, as our nation was in the conflict for freedom, his family also suffered because of his act of declaration of independence and declaring freedom from Great Britain. A lot of times we forget about the sacrifices that men made so that we can enjoy the freedom that we have today. And I will confess to you here today that, in fact, I don't have a Fourth of July message today. In all honesty and transparency, I just didn't have it in me to preach a Fourth of July message today. We're just going to stick to Bible truth today. But I do want to acknowledge that we still live in a great land. A number of years ago, I could say that as a nation that we were adrift from God. I can no longer say that we are adrift. I'd have to say that we are a nation that is rapidly forgetting God. And the scripture is very, very clear. The Bible says that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. And we are certainly forgetting God. And yet, as I reflect on men like Richard Stockton, I would have to say that there are still some patriots in this country who appreciate what this country was founded on. And there are still numerous of God's people in this country, people who are righteous and follow the Bible and believe in Jesus Christ and the authority of God. We cannot say as a nation that the majority of the people would say we're one nation under God. They've been brainwashed by the institutes of learning in our country. 
They've been brainwashed by Hollywood and all of the false gods that have become more important in our country, things such as sports and recreation and education and all of the different pleasures, the covetousness that people call the American dream. And truly, the American dream has become the American nightmare. People have so much today. I mean, we are blessed beyond all uh, recognition. Our founding fathers, and you wouldn't have to go back too many years for people to, to see that, wow, we have a lot of blessings, a lot of, I mean, the standard of living and the lifestyle here in America today has probably never been better, and yet we've never been less thankful to God than what we are today. And so I say that with sadness, and I say that with burden, and before we get into the message here today, I'd like for all of us to pause for a few minutes, and if you would, bow your heads with me in prayer, and let's together pray for the United States of America. Heavenly Father, it is in Jesus' name that we come before you today. And Lord, we come to you on the merits of Jesus and the cross of Calvary. As the songwriter said, nothing in our hand we bring, but simply to thy cross we cling. And Father, we lift up our nation today. Lord, we are a nation that has been in the process of forgetting you and forsaking you and Lord, I don't know exactly how you see it. You know the hearts and the lives of every single citizen of this country. And Lord, there's no way that we could do inventory and tell how many people are following you and that love God and live righteously and how many are wicked. But Lord, uh, we know that you're being merciful to us, maybe because of our founding fathers and great men of the past, or perhaps there's still a remnant of righteous, God-fearing Christians in this land. And God, you've been so merciful to us, and we ask that you would continue to be merciful. But above all, we pray that you would lead this country back to you. We pray for a spiritual awakening, as has happened in the past. Revival, if you will, whatever we call it, it doesn't matter what we label it. God, we just need you. God, we ask for your grace and your mercy upon this country and somehow, some way, move in the hearts of our leaders, of those who have influence, and Lord, move in the hearts of your people, those who profess to know Jesus Christ, God, that we would get serious about our discipleship, serious about Jesus Christ, and start living the way that you want us to live rather than following the way that this world is going. We ask your blessings and your grace in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter number 2, Mark, chapter number 2, and while you're turning, I wanted to remind you that we are still in uh, the middle, about halfway, a little over halfway through our getting the seed out of the barn challenge. I have a gospel track right here. I got it off of this table, and if you'll notice, if you've been watching here, this table is starting to get just the the pile, the stacks of tracks are getting a little bit lower. Uh, Brother Terry did some inventory for me um, this week, and as of today, there are approximately 9,188 tracks still left on this table. Now, if you'll recall, back 
the end of April, first part of May, that number was up around seventeen or 18,000, and I'm, I don't remember the exact number. And so uh, we're about halfway there. We're doing good. That is a lot of tracks that have been handed out or placed where people can get those, but uh, we still have this month, the month of July and the month of August, and so two months left, and we're, uh, we're on track to where... Listen, if we stay on the same pace as what we have the previous two months, we'll fall just a little bit short. So let me ask you to prayerfully consider ramping it up a little bit. If you've been giving out five tracks a week, uh, let me encourage you to up that to eight. If you've been giving out 10, then up that to 15. And wherever you're at, just uh, increase it just a little bit. And if we all stay faithful then uh, we will fulfill that challenge that I believe God gave us in getting all of these tracts, all of these gospel seeds out of the barn before the end of August. Now, I know that everyone's got their favorite track, and I've noticed that some of, the, some of my favorite ones are already gone. But all of these, whether they're your favorite or not, all of these have the gospel message. And so uh, just grab them, and even if it's not your favorite, you can still hand it out with pride and with joy, because every single one of these will tell someone how they can be saved and get a home in heaven and get their sins forgiven. And so that's a great joy and a great privilege, and so I encourage you to continue to be faithful. Mark chapter number two this morning, if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I preached out of this text before, but I've never used it the way that I'm using it as kind of a springboard text here this morning. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, and verse number 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy. That's a man who's paralyzed, if you will, which was born of four. So four men are carrying this paralyzed man. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith... He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I want to preach this morning on the subject, access to God. Let's pray. Father, bless the word of God today. Bless this message. Open up hearts and minds. We pray that this message would accomplish exactly what you want it to accomplish. If anyone that's listening is not saved, we pray that you would use this to bring them to Jesus Lord, for those that are saved, we pray that you would help us to uh, put into practice these wonderful truths that we indeed have access to God. We pray that you'd bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The story we just read demonstrates uh, many aspects of our access to God. First of all, I'd like to say, number one, Jesus is God. And a lot of the false religions, they don't like that truth, but the Bible is crystal clear that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. 
John chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you skip down to verse number 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The same God of Genesis 1-1 is the same God that came down to this earth, born of a virgin, lived 33 and a half years of human life, and he, he went through all of the things that we go through, at least all of the elements of the things that we go through. And even though he was sinless, he, uh, he submitted himself to the death of the cross of Calvary. Without question, Jesus is God. Secondly, I'd like to point out that this story demonstrates that there are many obstacles between us and getting to God. I'd like to show you a picture of a place in Idaho that years ago my son and I had the privilege of going with a group of men, some cowboys if you will, up to the Seven Devils area in Idaho. If you've ever seen it, it's an amazing place, kind of an obscure place. You've heard of the Grand Canyon and you've heard of Yellowstone, but this is a place that not everyone has heard of, but I'll tell you, if you've ever seen it, it's incredible. In fact, pictures do not do it justice. But if you look at that picture and you look at the, the, the jagged peaks of rock, as my son and I were on horseback and we were following the guide and the other men that were with us, we're, the, the guy who was taking us on this trip, he pointed up to some of those jagged rocks up on the peak and he said, Brother Mitchell, that's where we're heading. We're heading over the top over to the other side. I looked at that and I thought, there's no way that these horses can get through there. I mean, even if we were mountain climbers with ropes and gears, there's no way that we're going to get over that pass to the other side. There's too many obstacles. There's too many dangers. And it reminded me of how we access, how we get to God. There are indeed many obstacles. In our story here, the man that was born of four, they got him to Jesus, but he was paralyzed. And you know, people today and people for the last 2,000 years have been paralyzed by sin. Sin creates a paralysis and it makes it very difficult for us to get to God. In our story, it says they couldn't get this man to Jesus because of the press. There were too many people. And I think about how many people that have stayed away from God because of people. I, I too have had times in my life where I thought I had a good excuse for living in sin and living according to this world because of all the hypocrites in the church. I'm sure that probably many of you have used that excuse. Others that haven't used it probably maybe had justification to use that excuse. People can make it difficult for us to get to God. You know, there are times when we just don't have anyone that will help us or anyone that can help us. The psalmist said, I believe with tears, he said that he looked on his right hand and there was no man. He said, no one cared for my soul. Oh, may it never be said of anyone living in Statesville who comes across one of us here of this church, any of us that are born again believers, that 
they would say one day when they stand before God that, hey, no one cared for my soul. Add to that list pride, excuses, hurts, guilt, and fears. I think about this mountain peak and you think about going over the other side and what a fearful thing. There were times when we were on the path and you would look straight off. And I mean, if that horse were to stumble, you look down and you say, You're, it's over. I mean, it wasn't a straight down cliff, but it was straight enough. And the rocks were so jagged and so brutal that you knew that one misstep of that horse meant your life was over. You're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, even a helicopter probably wouldn't be able to get to you where we were at. And then add to that equation, Satan, the devil. Let me tell you something. The devil is going to do everything within his power to keep you from getting to God. He's going to blind your mind. He's going to infect your heart. He's going to do everything in your circumstances and so forth, anything and everything to keep you from getting to God. And then before we get into the meat of this message, I want to point out that these men who brought this paralyzed man to Jesus, the Bible says here that Jesus saw their faith. The very first thing at the beginning of this message, I want you to know, because God wants you to know, that if you're going to get to God, you're going to have to get to Him through faith. We live in the information age, a lot of information today. Not a lot of wisdom, but a lot of information. And so many people are saying, oh, you believe in God, well, prove it to me. And you know, the same people that would say, I'd believe in God if you could prove it to me, uh, when we say that there is a God and we look at the amazing intelligence of His creation and design and we say, hey, why don't you prove to us that there is no God? They have no proof. No proof whatsoever. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If you want access to God, the first thing that you need to know is you're going to have to go to God by faith. There is not a single religion or belief system on planet Earth. I don't care if you believe in science. I don't care if you're an atheist, an evolutionist. I don't care if you're a Catholic or a Muslim or anything. It doesn't matter what you believe. There is not a belief system that exists to humanity that hasn't required some element of faith. Where you've had to believe somebody, and you've had to decide whether you're going to believe something, even though it cannot be absolutely proven to you. Science doesn't have answers. You're going to have to believe something by faith. Now, you believe what you want to, but I choose to believe the Bible, the Word of God. I find that its precepts and its judgments are true. I find that it's a book that was miraculously put together by numerous authors over thousands of year period of time, and you find that all of the words of this book, they all go together perfectly without contradiction, without error, and the prophecies of this book 
are amazing. I mean, all of the prophecies that pinpointed to the detail when the Messiah would show up, that he would be born in Bethlehem, and he would be of the lineage of David, and so forth. Everything pointed to the man Christ Jesus. Oh, he was more than just a prophet. He was more than just a character in history. He was God Almighty manifest in the flesh. When you think about access, we live in a generation that understands a thing or two about access. We have phones, we have emails, we have social media. Remember when the previous president was banned from access to social media and wasn't able to get his message out because the people who owned the media companies didn't like what he had to say? That that was just a bad thing. Whether you like that president or not, that was a horrible thing in this country to censure someone, to take away that freedom of speech that has been so important in this great nation. We understand something about access. We have passwords. We have face recognition. We have firewalls and all of those words. If I were to said all of that 20 years ago, you'd be going, what are you talking about? You might understand the firewall thing. But we understand that there are things that involve access. wanted to share this story. I find it kind of humorous. My, my phone has a voice texting. I can, when I'm driving down the road, if I want to text someone, I can push the side button and I say, hey Siri, and it'll, it'll text, it'll hear my words and it'll put it into text and so forth. And, you know, my wife and I, we, I know, like every husband and wife, we have our little quirky things and little affectionate names that we call each other. And here years ago, we were making fun Maybe not making fun, but we were imitating uh, British aristocrats. And I said, she might have said it to me. I might have said, hey, lovey. And so we called each other lovey. Would you like a spot of tea? And, uh, you know, it just kind of, it, it stuck. And so we started calling each other lovey. In fact, in my cell phone, it, it says lovey instead of Lynn or wife or whatever. And so I'm going down the road and I push the button I'm thinking of my wife. I wanted to say something sweet to her and tell her I love her. And Hey, Siri, text lovey. I said, hey, hey, babe, I love you, and I'm thinking about you, blah, blah, blah. And so when it gets done, Siri says, would you like me to send it? I'm driving down the road. Normally, I would just say yes. But for some reason, by the grace of God, I looked at it. And it wasn't to Lovey. It was to Sister Libby. And I saw that and I go, I go, ah! She's going to think I'm a weirdo. Her husband's going to kill me. It's like, no, 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 no. And anyhow, always look at those. And I could tell you some other things that preachers have done that, act, you know, it didn't hear their voice just right. But anyhow, we'll move on. Bottom line, we understand that we live in a day and age where access is very, very important. And we're talking about access to God. And the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is I want to talk to you about the distance between us and God. Sometimes we don't realize how much distance there is between us 
and getting to God. In Genesis chapter number 1, we find that God created a firmament, a space, if you will. We call it outer space. We call it the universe, the galaxies, and all of that. And all of that is chronicled in Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis 1, verse number 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And watch this, it says, Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So if you could picture an earth, a globe, a mass, a sphere of earth, if you will, it's without form and void. There's nothing living upon it. There's nothing in order. It's just a big, huge round ball of dirt that's sitting in the middle of water, the deep, if you will. And then if you skip down to verse number 6, it says, And God said, Let there be a firmament, that's a space, if you will, in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters, watch this, which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Just visualize this in your mind. Here's planet Earth engulfed in a body of water. And God says, I'm going to divide those waters. The waters that are above space, I'm going to divide them from the waters that are below space. So after God created all of that distance between those waters... The earth is still, the atmosphere still has water surrounding all of it. And if you were to continue to read, you would find that God took those waters below the firmament and he started gathering them together into oceans and seas. And then the dry land appeared at that point. But if you think about it, think about what we know from science, from space exploration, how massive the universe is. We haven't even found the end. Now, I will say this, that if NASA, if any nation were to send out a probe, and if it would continue to go and keep going and keep going and keep going, eventually it's going to run into a body of water. Now, I don't know how big that body of water is, but the body of water may be just as big as the space between the earth and the water. It's a massive thing. When you think about how big that God is, that God could create all of this universe and the stars and the planets and the space, it's the massiveness of it is beyond our comprehension. Just from a distant standpoint where the throne of God is, I don't think that we could even put the numbers together in a comprehensible manner, even if we're talking light years, even if we're talking gigalight years or whatever it is, we just cannot even fathom how far that God is from us in the physical realm. But not only that, that we find that there is a distance from God on a spiritual level. After man sinned, and was expelled from the Garden of Eden, we find an intriguing statement. In Genesis 4, verse number 26, it says, To Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. And it says, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. 
This is 130 years after man was expelled from the Garden of Eden. Why did they wait 130 years to start calling upon the name of the Lord? Well, I think that probably that first generation of Adam's descendants, they could only think of God being in the Garden of Eden. I'm sure that Adam probably told many stories. Hey, son, hey, uh, Abel, let me tell you about the time that God and I were walking through the garden and he began to teach me some things and imparted unto me some wisdom. Can you imagine the stories that Adam would have told. And so I'm sure that that first generation, they could only think of God being in the garden. But somehow, some way, they began to figure out that God was way bigger than just someone that showed up in the garden during the cool of the day. Somehow, man began to realize that God is a spirit. And He is, by the way, John chapter number 4 and verse number 24 Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I'd like to present to you this morning that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And while it is true that he is everywhere, it is also true that God manifests his presence in many ways. In the Old Testament, God would dwell among men... And when God dwelt among men, really the the best way I know to demonstrate that is to talk about the tabernacle of the Old Testament. God had Moses and he gave him the plan to build this tabernacle. You can see uh, kind of the fence surrounding the holy place. And it's covered with badger skins and goat's hairs and so forth. And on the inside, it's full of gold. It's an amazing structure that was movable because the children of Israel were were wandering around in the wilderness. But this was the place where God would show up. On the outside of that that fence or that wall, if you will, the Levites and only the Levites could camp out around the tabernacle. And inside of that courtyard, only Levites and certain priests could perform the sacrifices. And then, as I show you a cutout of that holy place, if you'll notice that there's a great light that ascends from the Ark of the Covenant. That's the presence of God. God would manifest His presence. He would be a a pillar of fire by day, or excuse me, by night, and He would be a cloud by day. If you'll notice that right in front of that Ark of the Covenant and that mercy seat, there's another curtain. That's the veil. And listen, only the high priest, one man, had access In order to go inside of that place, you see the candlestick on the left, you see the table of showbread on the right, and directly between the holy place and the holy of holies, you see the altar of incense where certain types of incense was burned and that aroma would fill. It was the aroma that God wanted. You know, it's amazing how the people today are trying to worship God by their own terms. God wants our worship and our praise, but God's the one that says, this is how I want you to worship me. Modern Christianity will take anything that the world has and anything that the devil has, and they'll offer it as worship before the Lord. I've got news for you. God doesn't accept any old 
worship or sacrifice. He didn't accept Cain's. He only accepted Abel's. So God, who is the Creator, He's the Holy One. He has every right to say, this is how I want you to worship me. People say, well, I was sincere. Why won't God accept my sincerity? Because He's holy. He's a God of truth. He's a God of righteousness. He and He alone has the right to choose what is right before His eyes. We've lost sight of that in modern Christianity. But that veil was the access in which the high priest could take the blood of that sacrificial animal and he alone could go behind that veil and put that blood on that mercy seat where God's presence was manifest. Now let me tell you something. If that priest didn't do everything, every single detail according to the way that God said to do it, that priest would not come out of that holy place alive. God would drop him dead just like that. That's why Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. Listen, man has created a God in his own image today. And he's not the God of the Bible. Let me tell you something. God is a God to be greatly feared. You say, wait a minute. I thought that God was a God of love. Oh, he is. He's a God of love. And he's a God of grace. And he's a God of mercy. But don't think. Listen, he is, if you're saved, he's your father. But he ain't your daddy. He is a great and a terrible and an awesome God. One to be reverenced, one to be feared. He is holy. We can't fathom the concept of holiness, but we know from the Scripture, God's own Word, that He is indeed holy. He's so holy that if you were to see His presence in your human flesh, you wouldn't be able to handle it. You'd drop dead in an instant. That's how holy and awesome that God is. That's the distance between man and God, and God only, He alone has established the access to Him. Number two, I want to talk about the division with God. The Bible uses the word enmity, and that's just a different word of saying enemy. Do you know that as sinners, that since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, the entire human race is at enmity with the Holy God? The world tries to tell you that you're basically good and that you can mess that up by bad decisions and bad behavior. But the fact of the matter is, is we come into this world as evil and wicked. And not everyone is as wicked and evil as others, but we all have that nature, that corruptible seed that we are born with. And so man is not basically good. Man is basically bad. We need something, we need someone to save us from who we are. We're enemies with Him. Now the important thing to remember is that our enemy, we're the enemies of God, but we are the cause. And God is the offended. God never offended us, we offended God. If you go back 200 years, you'll find... Or thereabouts. You find a great man of God by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He preached a famous sermon. He preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. 
And it's a true message. It's a wonderful sermon that comes from the Bible. And hundreds of people were born again as he preached that message. But if you were to come 200 years into the future, you would find that that message, no one's interested in sinners in the hands of an angry God concept. But rather, we would, if we were going to display the heart of the average Christian today, we would have to preach the God in the hands of angry sinners. Why, God? Why did you allow this to happen? Why did, I mean, it's like God gets the blame for everything bad that happened. And folks, that is so untrue and so unfair to say that of a loving God. God didn't offend us. He's never offended us, but we certainly Every single, you have offended God. I have offended God. Every time you commit a sin and you violate His commands and His expectations, you are sinning against a holy God. God is not, does not need to be reconciled to man, but rather man needs to be reconciled to God. Isaiah 59 and verse number 1, the scripture says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, your sin have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Listen, the distance and the division between us and God, it's not because of God. He is still with stretched out arms saying, I want to be your God. I want to be your father. I want to be your Savior, but man has created a division and a distance between us and Him. God is a holy God, and by your actions you have declared yourself His enemy. Access to Him is not a light thing. It's not a flippant thing. We don't understand royalty today. We don't understand the concept of a king or a potentate, someone who is of utmost authority and has the rule and Their authority may mean your life or your death. If you go back in the Old Testament, Queen Esther of old. Oh, listen, King Ahasuerus was the king of really of of the known world at that time. And Esther had a request. She's the queen. And you know that when she presented herself before the king without being beckoned, without him calling for her, that the king, the Bible says, that he held out the royal scepter. You know what that means? That means that if Esther would have approached King Ahasuerus uninvited, and he would not have held out that royal scepter, then those guards of the palace would have arrested her, and she would have been put to death because she intruded into the king's space without being invited. You say, that's so unfair. Listen, We don't understand the concept of kings and authorities. But listen, for thousands and thousands of years, up until really the last 200 years of this experiment called democracy and Republican and uh, Republic and so forth, all of this is new territory in humanity for the most part. Centuries ago, people understood you don't mess with the king. He's the king and he has the power. And let me tell you something. God Almighty is the king and he has the power. Access to him is not a light thing. You need someone who can establish a peace treaty. Someone 
who can access God for you. You say, who is that? I'm glad you asked. I want to read to you out of Romans 5. I could have taken you to about three or four different passages, but I chose this one because all of the wonderful elements of this concept are present in this passage. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The scripture makes it clear. Access to God and peace with God. It doesn't come from a church or a religion or good works. It doesn't come from a minister or preacher. It doesn't come from your heritage. I don't care who your grandpa was or your grandma. I don't care if you were born in this country or any other country. It doesn't matter. Listen, access to God and peace with God to make peace and no longer be his enemy, it only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my last point, number three. I want to talk to you about the desire to access God. Do you know most men are not seeking God, but rather avoiding and hiding? If you read the book of Revelation, there's a bunch of people who have taken the mark of the beast, and there's some people who have rejected Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when God shows up, and God begins to work those miracles and rain down his judgment upon those that have rejected him. The Bible says that rather than men calling and crying out to God, God, I was wrong. Forgive me. God, save me. They don't even think about doing that, but the Bible says they say to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Listen, that's how incredibly awesome and fearful that God Almighty is. They would rather say mountains and rocks fall on us. This past week, we took the Robinsons to Linville Caverns. And I mean, you are inside of a mountain and you've got rocks on every side. And men, listen, I wouldn't want to be have that mountain collapse upon me. But there are men that would rather have a mountain collapse upon them than to look God in the face and say, God, I was wrong. You're righteous. Would you forgive me? Most men aren't seeking God. They're avoiding and hiding. The psalmist said it like this in Psalm 10, verse number 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The Lord Jesus, some 1,000, 1,500 years later, said it like this. He spoke of it as light. And in John 3.19, he said, this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. That's him, by the way. He's the light of the world. And he says, men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. You know, if you really knew Jesus, if you really knew him for who he is and was and what he did, how could anyone reject him? 
He was perfect. He was sinless. He was loving. He was kind. He was forgiving. He, he, he worked miracles. He healed people of their diseases and their sickness. He cast out devils, men whose lives were in bitter chains and bondage of the devil. And Jesus would walk by and he cast them out. He would rescue them. He would teach them the truth, how that they could love their neighbor as their self, how they could get along and have peace and have a, have a good life. All of those things Jesus did. And you look at all of that and you think, why did they, why were they so vehement? Why were they so venomous and vicious when they said, crucify him, crucify him? Jesus predicted it right here because their deeds were evil. They didn't want the light. They didn't appreciate the light. And anyone that could hear about Jesus Christ and say, I'm not interested. Why? Because they don't want light. They like the darkness. They're not interested in access to God because access to God means I have to change something in my life. I wonder how many people reject Jesus Christ over some stupid little sin, some little pleasure or some little way that they like to live their life that in the whole scheme of life and eternity is going to amount to nothing. It's so sad. And that ought to tell you just how just how strong and powerful that Satan is that he could blind men's minds and stop them from recognizing and seeing the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Listen, you want to quit hiding from God and you just want access to God. You've got to come to the place where it's like, I'm not going to hide from the light. God, you already know me. You know my thoughts. You know my heart. You know my deeds. I can't hide it from you. I might as well face it. And I might as well confess to you what I am. If you'll do that from your heart, you now are at the beginning stages of having access to God. We've talked previously about the distance and the division before between God. The desire to access God. Look at what Paul said to a bunch of lost, heathen, pagan idolaters in, in Mars Hill, Greece. In Acts 17, verse 27, he said that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. You know that distance, that just awesome distance between us and God? The Word of God says that really God is no further away from you than the end of your mouth. The words are nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Do you know that if you would confess Jesus Christ and you'd say, God, I repent of my sins and I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know that God is right there. He's not far from you. He's that close to your heart. But He's not going to force His will upon anyone. And that brings me to my conclusion this morning. And that is we all need to understand, you need to understand that access to God is proprietary. It's proprietary. You ever tried to get a hold of an important person? You know, I, I would love to have a sit down with President Biden. I'd love to have an hour with him, to sit with him, 
with my Bible and talk to him about his false opinion on abortion and sexuality and gender. I'd love to be able to say, look, President Biden, this is what the Word of God says. I would love that. That's never going to happen. You and I both know it. You know, we could send him a letter, but chances of him actually reading that letter, we know that there are slim. I've heard of people that have actually gotten letters through to the president, but it's really, really rare. I think about celebrities, famous people. I uh, had a golfer that I was watching that I found out that they were a born-again Christian, and I thought, hey, I'm going to go on their, his website and email him and say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I love your testimony, and I never heard back from him. They probably get thousands upon thousands of fan mail and all that. You don't have access. My son came across a celebrity when he was uh, uh, on a training session for his work, and the bodyguards were all around. In fact, he, he wanted to take a picture with his phone, and uh, one of the bodyguards came up and actually took his phone away. He said, well, that's not right. Well, he was a big bodyguard. And my son, you know, I, I tried to raise him to be smart. So he made a good choice. But I think you, if you've ever tried, there are people, it's like, you're not going to get access to them. How in the world are, would we get access to God? Well, I'll tell you what, God provided you access to him. And it's proprietary. It's so proprietary that there's only one way to access God. John chapter 14 and verse number 6. The Son of God said this. He said, "Oh, Yeah, John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's proprietary. There is no religion. There is nothing. You are not going to access God except through Jesus Christ. Now, we'll say this. There's many different ways to get to Jesus. I mean, you may go through the way of heartache. You may be raised in a Christian home. You may have God rescue you from drug addiction or from a life of sin and and, and you, you may have a testimony where you were just a wicked person and God rescued. You may be a good moral person and you realize that all of your goodness and your good works are all just filthy rags before God. There's all different ways in which God draws people to Jesus Christ. But listen, don't think that there's any other exceptions. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Remember that picture that I showed you at the beginning of the Seven Devils area in Idaho? When our guide said, you're going to go over that path, you're going to go, we're going to go over on the other side, I really I looked at it, it's like, there's no way, that's impossible. But here's a picture, it's not a very good picture, but this is, I took this picture while on a horse, sitting right behind my son Josh. Uh, he didn't have a cowboy hat on, he had a hockey helmet on. That's because, well, he had parents that cared about him. But uh, 
I wanted to say this. We made it. We made it across over to the other side. Uh, Much to my disbelief and my amazement, how did we make it? Well, I'll tell you what, we had to trust the trail. And we had to trust the horse. And we had to trust the guide. It looked impossible. It literally did. There is no way. And it looked dangerous. And yet, we made it. Once you have accessed God by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in the cross, you become God's children. At that point, we now have free access to the God of the universe. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. Hebrews 4.16 says it this way, Let us therefore come boldly, not like Esther, waiting for God to hand out, or for the king to hold out the golden scepter, but rather because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because of the precious blood that he shed on the cross, when we believe and we trust, we now have access and we can come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that wonderful news? You don't have to go and confess your sins to a man. You don't have to follow some religion. Listen, I, we're a Baptist church here, but we can, the only way we can help you access God is by telling you about Jesus Christ. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about a church. It's not about anything. It's about Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to God. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Would you like to access God? Would you like to have peace with Him? Would you like to have restored what was lost in Adam? Would you like to have your sins forgiven? Well, you can. If you will only come to Him by faith and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer.